Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, the third installment of our uh, Iraq series that's been made possible by uh, the Shaibani Houston Donors Fund that's you know, brought a lot of really wonderful speakers to this campus. Um, today's uh, speaker, Nada Shabud, is professor of uh, art history at the University of North Texas in Dallas and uh, talk about, uh, in Arabic literature, when we talk about Arabic literature and the field of Arabic literature, we're always talking about the classical and the modern. And it seems like in art history, you also have, especially dealing with the Middle East or the Arab world specifically, this classical and modern divide. And it is really fair to say that uh, Professor Shabut has almost single-handedly created uh, the field of modern Arabic. Uh, art uh, and art history. And uh, this is really a very important kind of development that is now being acknowledged. There are more and more positions finally being opened, but just very recently, where this, this kind of field of study is finally getting its recognition and also the kind of the history of modern Arab art really also getting studied in a rigorous and serious way and published on. So this is a very important kind of development. And another has been involved academically, but also in, in many, many projects. And I would give you just a sense of, of her importance to understanding and engaging uh, with contemporary Arab art. She's uh, the director of the Contemporary Arab and Muslim Studies Initiative at the University of Knox, Texas. She's consulting director uh, of research at Mat'haf, the Arab Museum of Modern Art in, in Doha, in Qatar. She's the founding president of the Association for Modern Contemporary Art from the Arab World, Iran, and Turkey. The author of Modern Arab Art, Formation of Arab Aesthetics in 2007. Co-editor of New Vision, Arab Art in the 21st Century, 2009. And she is currently co-editing a forthcoming volume, Modern, Modern Art of the Arab World, Primary Documents, which is part of the international program of the Museum of Modern Art in New York, uh, 2017. And she's the founder and project director of the Modern Art Iraq Archive. Uh, also a member of the editorial committee of the Middle East Research and Information Project, MEDIP, which uh, is, you know, has a great home in, at UT Austin, and member of the International Editorial Advisory Board uh, and subject editor for the Rutledge Encyclopedia of Modernism. So just to give you a sense of the scope and the contribution, the, the vital contribution that Professor Shabut has been contributing to this, to this field. And the, her, the subject of her talk today is Resistance and Suspension in Modern Arc's Visual Culture. Please join me in welcoming Nada Shabut. Thank you, um, thank you very much, uh, Tarek, for what I feel very important now. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I should let you know a small secret. The reason why I'm a founding of many things is because there was nothing before. So, you know, it was easy to become a founder of many things. And it also tells you how old I am because now that the younger generation are taking over and they're able to do more work. And in fact, in the art world, we don't so far much have the uh, classic and modern, we have the Islamic and the modern. And now, 
the Islamic and the contemporary are speaking, the modern is always kind of lost because, you know, it still kind of has not found its place. But we are very happy that, you know, the world is taking uh, notice of the work and are getting more interested. There are so many more initiatives about this. Thank you very much, uh, Tarek, for organizing all of this, Dr. Shebani, for uh, sponsoring this, and UT Austin for being here. We're neighbors, but you know it's so much easier to be in Beirut than to be in, in Austin. I don't know why, so I'm very happy to be here. And to be talking about a, a topic that is very dear to me, although it's sort of not a very happy topic, as uh, many of you know. Okay, so Iraqi, um, Resistance, suspension, modern Iraq's visual culture. As we all know, cultures as epistemological projects are in a state of constant change. Their transformation reflect not only growth and evolution, but often severe conditions such as wars, disasters, and conflicts. The echelon of change and its effects vary in accordance with the cause of that change. The case of Iraq specifically, of course, is um, an example of uh, uh, a culture that had to deal with intense reimagining, attacks, neglect, dismantlement of its infrastructure, and shifting sociopolitical discourses. There is certainly much to be said about the destruction of history and heritage in Iraq during the last century. Such a discussion, nevertheless, becomes particularly significant to the years of sanctions and following the US-led invasion of 2003. The extreme and sudden disintegration of Iraq's cultural institutions and structures since 2003, without a clear alternative for reconstruction, resulted in short and long-term historical, sociological, and visual complications, to say the least. The 2003 U.S.-led invasion promised Iraqis, among other things, democracy, freedom, better life. Western media predicted a flourishing in the arts and culture with the assured subsequent freedom of expression that will allow Iraqi artists uninhibited voice and a chance for unrestricted creativity. Today, it's been more than a decade, of course, since that promise, Iraqi art and culture are rather in a state of suspension, having lost its traditional context and support. State patronage and protection of the creator cadre came to a full stop and mass exodus of Iraqi artists caused a decisive rupture in its history of art. While rupture itself is not necessarily a negative moment, it turns into an abyss without access to history. Iraqi culture has received serious blows and tremendous loss. So what, is, you know, what does that mean? What do I mean by suspension of culture? As argued by Jonathan Crary, suspension is the state of being suspended, a looking or listening to so rapt that it is an exemption from ordinary conditions that it becomes a suspended temporality, a hovering out of time, it implies a, the possibility of a fixation of holding something in wonder or contemplation in which the attentive subject is both immobile and ungrounded. But at the same, at, but at the same a suspension is also a cancellation or an interruption, and I wanted here to indicate a disturbance, even a negation of perception itself, end of quote. Hovering in a continuous state of crisis, emergency, and trauma, Iraqi art exists outside of its historical index in a state of exception. 
Moreover, a web of liminal spaces outside of Iraq has been created propagating parallel Iraqi cultures in exile and diaspora and marking a shift in its historical center of production. While satellite orbits of cultures are symptomatic of globalization, competing of an authentic representation of an imaginary Iraqi culture further complicates its history. A very you know, telling example that I give in sort of the uh, progression into the state of ex uh, uh, suspension for Iraqi culture is these three images from the same uh, uh, point um, of uh, geographical places, but different points of history. So this is the old um, unknown soldier monument by um, uh, the architect Rafat Chadarchi. It was a very simple modernist, you know, it's a, a soldier bending over um, that was uh, designed and, and executed in 1959, 1961, sort of agreed upon as the golden ages of Iraq. The monument was dismantled by Saddam Hussein and eventually was replaced by his famous um, sculpture, the statue that we all saw coming down in El Ferdos Square on April 9th in 2003. Moving forward just a few nights after that, a new sculpture was um, just sort of erected overnight. Actually, I think it's in violation of, of several um, regulations. But this was by an amateur group of Iraqi artists called El Najin, um, the survivors. And so it's actually sort of a, a cliche-ish, you know, hodgepodge of optimism and, and things from um, history. I'm not sure exactly if it's still there or not. Um, they did, you know, cast it in bronze at one point, but at this moment, I don't know, you know, where exactly it went or, you know, what is um, the, uh, the story with it. The professional art production in Iraq constituted an important part of Iraq's modern visual culture because it's of its direct connection to identity and consequently a large part of the nation's collective memory. More importantly, Iraqi artists struggled to construct national Iraqi art structured aesthetics specifically as a site of resistance. So despite of Gertrude Bell's um, description in this letter to her uh, father on the 26th of February in 1922, where she said, a tent full of pictures by local artists, quite incredibly bad. The subject chosen were mostly allegories representing the spirit of the Iraq and various forms of dislocation, rising from ashes where if she, meaning Iraq, looks like that, it would be more discreet of her to remain. I judge that it will be some time before we produce our Michelangelo. Lady Gertrude Bell, I'm sure most of you know here, was a British intelligent officer who participated in the establishment of the new state of Iraq and is the, founding, uh, of, uh, um, the founder of the Iraqi National Museum. I think she's being played by Nicole Kidman in the, Kidman in the new movie that is um, about to, I think it's released or about to be released. And I think funded by Qatar. It did not take long for Iraqi artists to prove Lady Bell wrong. The rest of the 20th century, in fact, you know, became a very, um, uh, uh, witnessed a rapid progress in the arts with specific periods of extreme and vital uh, creativity that registered modern Iraqi art as exceptionally mature in the um, region. Nevertheless, the valuation of it in today's market is still kind of not resolved. Um, the development of uh, Iraqi art 
there is the history of it, the historiography of uh, modern Iraqi art is not yet completely written. There is sort of a dominant narrative, a sketch of a narrative that tells you the story of um, uh, the complexity of accepting um, modern art in, um, in the context because of the easel painting being you know, foreign, uh, the foreignness of the nature of it, and um, the... The, you know, it highlights the artists who studied in Europe, who became uh, came back, and of course, very much mimicked um, their their teachers in Europe. One of the most known, uh, or the best known, of Iraqi artists is Jawad Salim. And Jawad Salim, actually, this is a quotation from Jawad Salim, where he he talks about art in Mesopotamia has always been like its people, who have been the product of the land and the climate neither ever reached dissolution nor perfection. Technical perfection to him, the Mesopotamian artist, limits self-expression. Ancient Iraqi artist work was rough but rich with innovations. It possessed dynamic and daring qualities that would not be realized by technical precision. And actually he's quite right in the way he, um, you know, sort of uh, um, uh, perceived the development of Iraqi art. Jawad Salim um, is, as I said, you know, one of Iraq's best-known artists who believed that the 1958 revolution, which overthrew the uh, monarchy and formed the Republic of Iraq, was an explosive continuation of the past charged with creative experiments. Moreover, Iraqi artists operated within global parameters where they aimed at bridging this notion of um, you know, self and other. Baghdad was a very cosmopolitan city. People in Baghdad, including the artists, were reading Hegel and listening to Puccini at the same time um, while listening to Iraqi Maqam, Um Kalthum, and reading Taha Hussein. As a basic historical framework, I, I identify, I assume most of you don't really know the history of, of uh, modern Iraqi art. So I'm going to give you sort of a quick, uh, you know, um, uh, frame uh, of the development of Iraqi art. And I identify six broad and overlapping periods of development in the 20th and 21st century. The first period starts at the late 19th century uh, and extends to World War I. We don't really know that much about what happened in that period. We keep discovering a lot of new primary documents, so you know, we'll, we'll have time for assessment. We know, for example, of the work of one calligrapher, Niazi Maulawi, who uh, also painted mi uh, miniatures in watercolor and oil. The artist Shakir Hassan al-Said has noted a confluence of and synthesis in Maulawi's work between text, ornamentation, and painting that resulted in something akin to op art. Paralleling the turbulence of the political milieu before the 1958 revolution, the second phase was a period of change and growth, characterized by a strength of artist groups. Friends of art, you know, every country starts with friends of art groups, um, was the first group to be formed in 1941. Two of the most significant early accomplishments were the, of the, the group's uh, artist, uh, the artists in that group early accomplishments were the localization of the technique and concepts of modern art and the initiation of an interest in art as a professional vocation. 
This important phase can be further divided into two parts, 1930s and 1940s, uh, was a period of simplicity and adaptation. Famous, some of the artists, actually, there is a sale that's coming up at Bonhams um, in March, and they have works by, for example, Abdul Qadir Rassam and, and the early artists who were initially, um, they're, they're known as soldier artists. They were initially soldiers in the Ottoman army. And while in Istanbul studying, they took painting classes. They did, you know, topography painting. And so when the, the army, the Ottoman army was dismantled, they went back to Iraq and they became the first teachers. And so they sort of had, you know, open, you know, just, uh, free ateliers and they would have some students to teach. But they were very important in introducing art as a, um, uh, an occupation again, you know, following from what was before the in 19th century and before. And I'm not going to go back. It's a very complicated, you know, uh, story back in history and the Ottoman uh, rule and the development or the, the stop of progress of um, the sort of the traditional arts. And so this, is, this became a very sort of important um, uh, start of a new uh, development in the arts. The pioneers is the name given to artists working in the 1940s and 50s. They constituted the first generation of professional and established artists in the modern sense, and their contribution to the development of modern Iraqi art cannot be overstated. Everyone talks about that period, but the reality is there's so much more to be said. They were instrumental in setting the standards and establishing the foundations for the various experiments and developments that followed. By going back to the roots of modern art, with its emphasis on abstraction and two-dimensionality, Iraqi artists found approaches that were indigenous in their own culture. They were thus able to absorb and understand modernism, epistemologically, intuitively, and intellectually, as a means of rebellion and change. And you're looking at the work of Fayek Hassan, one of um, Iraq's also very famous uh, artists. And these are some of the works in the 50s uh, that he did in the 50s, which were sort of portraitures of um, various Iraqi personalities. In a way, what Iraqi artists were trying to do in that period is sort of, you know, take stock of what, what is Iraq and what is Iraqis. I mean, you possibly know the history of the creation of the state of Iraq. And so the artists at this period actually wanted to visualize what did it mean to be an Iraqi or what is Iraq as a state. So this is some of the early work of uh, Fayek Hassan. And you notice that, you know, many of the images that I will show you, it says from the looted collection of the Iraqi Museum of Modern Art. We'll talk about this when we come to the, first, the 21st century. This is a, another one of his work that he did. And you can see the changes in style. And I talk about this um, in a second. And this one is uh, work uh, called At the Market. This actually is a, from the collection of Mathaf Air Museum of Modern Art. And this, again, sort of was in, um, in line or in celebration of the 1958 uh, revolution. So um, their visu the visual language of the Iraqi artist, um, in accordance with the distinct uh, the philosophy and spirit of modernity and the concept of na nation state was based on the selection and synthesis of what they believed constituted the Iraqiness of the various and multiple factions of society, which were then merged into a single identity representative of the pluralistic uh, whole. Of course, that's very sort of modern way of looking at things. Theirs was an age of optimism and seemingly endless possibilities. Leading in this 
um, period and approach is the Baghdad group of modern art, Jama'at Baghdad Lil Fan Al Hadith, formed by, in 1951 by Jawad Salim and Shakir Hassan Al Said. Through their work, the group established methodologies that opened doors to analyzing and critically deconstructing history and tradition and then reconstructing it into something new. And what they did in the Jamaat Baghdad al Fan al Hadith um, instituted this notion called Istilham al Turath, seeking inspiration from tradition or engaging in tradition. I actually, you know, may, maybe you can help. Istilham is a word that. I'm not very comfortable with when I translate because seeking inspiration is so passive and they were not passive. And so it was a very sort of, you know, um, uh, active engagement with tradition in a way of understanding it. And these are the, the two main artists, as I said, Shakir Hassan Al-Said, this is a photo of him when he was a student in Paris, and Jawad Salim uh, in his studio in 1955. What they did with this notion of istilham al-turath is, and you can see that progression, you saw that in Faiq Hassan's work, and now we see it in uh, um, Shakir Hassan al-Said, you start with sort of engagement with the different styles and movements of modernism. This is a way of understanding. He studied in Paris. Jawad Salim studied in London, Paris, and Italy because he ended up in London at the end because of the war. So, you know, he was, he, he was sent to um, uh, Florence at first, but then the you know, war started. Uh, I think he was in Paris first, then Florence, and then London. And so they are very aware of the development of modernism in Europe and were engaging and experimenting with it. But then slowly they, the style, and I'm sort of showing you just a couple of images, so there's a lot in between. Um, they move into something like Shakir Hassan Said, what he calls his contemplative period, where art is no longer about creation, but rather about contemplation. And so, you know, this he goes back to various traditions of history. Shakir Hassan Said lived long. He actually passed um, away in 2003. Jawad Salim died in 1961. So Jawad Salim sort of became a larger than life persona and very important, but Shakir Hassan lived longer and influenced more artists. And he is the one who wrote the manifesto for the group um, in 19... Um, 51, and in their first exhibition. And in this work, you know, and you see there, al-wafq, um, you know, the magic uh, talismatic uh, um, uh, objects, and where he takes, like, for there, you see uh, the number eight, thamania, and ba, so that means hub. So he's like, you know, this whole connections between um, words, uh, I mean, letters and numbers, he investigates in his work. There was a joke, he lived, he, he was in Amman for a while, and there was a joke that if any of you have been in, um, to Amman going down to Abdali station, there are a lot of sort of uh, um, old walls, and everyone would say, you know, this is a Shakir Hassan Said work, we just put a frame on it, because he kind of contemplated the effects of time on, um, on uh, uh, objects. He's a very complex, actually, uh, artist, but, you know, and uh, there, there need to be more work on him. This whole sort of notion of Istilham al-Turath came in connection to actually a couple of images that they saw um, in a French journal from Maqamat al-Hariri, the 13th century assemblies of al-Hariri. You know, the reality is Iraqi artists were not aware of, of their history and heritage, even though many of them, including uh, Jawad Salim, worked in the uh, Museum of uh, Antiquity, because there was Asat al-Husari, who was you know, a great educator, and opened the doors for them to kind of engage with their own um, history. And they were 
I guess, keeping more objects uh, from their heritage instead of shipping them um, abroad at that time. And so they were able to see that. But they really did not know what, what had happened in the Islamic um, era. And so when one of the artists, uh, Jamil Hamoudi, was in Paris, and this was uh, published with a couple of images in black and white, not in color, um, took it back to Baghdad, they actually... Sata al-Husari commissioned him to enlarge them. And they kind of built a whole sort of theory based in the connection with that. Because to them, all of a sudden, they saw that they had a past, they had a middle, and there is the, 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 um, the modern, the moment, the contemporary moment. And so for the uh, Baghdad group of modern art, it was very important to forge that continuity. To look back, and in fact, in their manifesto, they declare that they are connecting to Yahya al-Wasiti, who was the painter of um, the uh, Maqamat al-Hariri, because... Maqamat al-Hariri, if any of you have seen them, and there is a facsimile, is now that we have access to them at the uh, um, National Library in, in Paris, actually there is a facsimile of the work um, that shows you all the details of it. These, these images were not illustrations of the text. They were actually a very sort of open imagination of, um, of the text. And so it had this freedom, this, this uh, liberty in it, but also it had the style, the color, the two-dimensionality. And this is what, you know, Joad Salim was uh, experimenting with specifically in his work. And the group had most of Iraq's well-known artists. And you see some of his earlier work, and then you see how it was sort of progressing again into the two-dimensionality, into the ornamental um, where he actually, you know, in, in some of his work, for example, he had a, a whole uh, series called Baghdadiyat, in reference to Baghdad, the city, at a time when actually Baghdad was, you know, going through a very sort of uh, rough, um, politically oppressed and, and economically uh, suppressed um, era, he was right, you know, uh, uh, painting these Baghdadiyat, which uh, some of them dealt with, you know, children, some of them with, um, you know, sort of folk, um, uh, you know, um, uh, events, and where he intellectualized these folk. Um, um, iconography into something that actually became very much the iconography of Iraqi art. This is also dubbed Hilaliyat, the crescent shape. Because as you can see, there is the rhythmic reference to um, Islamic uh, you know, manuscripts, but there is also the shape of the crescent that you can see in uh, the heads and the eyes, they come together, and then they have the reference to the Sumerian and to the Assyrian. So you actually can see uh, you know, uh, a mul multiplicity of, of um, Iraq's history referenced in one work. In a more simple sort of direct, um, the mother and child one on the left, where it is sort of the womb and the egg, but it's also the hilaliyat, and, um, you know, kind of in, in, uh, in line of his work. But you see here the uh, um, young man and wife, uh, farmer and his wife, there are several um, titles for them. You see the hilaliyat in the uh, decorative background or in the, um, in the eyes. And it was very interesting that they would actually look at the, you know, you see the references to history, but then you see sort of the contemporary attire. This was very contemporary in its time. Jawad Salim was initially a sculptor. And he sort of kind of continued the tension between sculpture and painting. At the end, you know, sculpture won, except it was sculpture that actually also um, uh, cut his life short. And this is Nasb al-Hurriya. I'm sure, you know, um, 
because it's always on the back of uh, in the background of anything that comes out of Baghdad. And it's actually one of the only monuments that still remain. It was the first monument of its scale to be commissioned by an Iraqi artist. Actually, it was the first one of its scale in 2300 years to be built in Iraq, and definitely you know, uh, by an Iraqi artist. And it was to commemorate the 1958 revolution. So it was um, President, the new president, Abdul Karim Qasim, who commissioned it. And there were a lot of tensions between Abdul Karim Qasim and Jawad Salim. Jawad Salim did not want the monument to be your moment specific. He didn't want it about the 1958. He wanted it about the Iraqi people. And he was very successful in, you know, sort of enforcing um, his uh, uh, ideas about that. But actually, it caused him to have a couple of heart attacks and, you know, the second one killed him. And I'll show you some details of it. It, it becomes, it's, you know, you can see probably cubism, for those of you who are you know, familiar with art uh, styles, but you can also see Sumerian. You can also see sort of a, um, uh, like an Assyrian register. You can see, you can read it from right to left or left to right or from the middle. So it can also be almost, it's 14 sections. It's almost like, you know, an Arabic letters that you can read in that way. It is, it was actually his masterpiece. I mean, you know, he died at a good po moment. Although he didn't finish it, it was finished um, after his death. Uh, Rifat Chadirchi designed the, the base for it, and then it was another artist, uh, Khaled Rahal and Hamad Ghani Hikmat, who um, worked on uh, uh, finishing it before he died. Jawad Salim is a very important artist for Iraqi artists in general because of this. He showed them a way of moving forward. He kind of took it from doing impressionist or you know, just sort of engaging with modernism, not really knowing um, what is it about Iraqi art, to a path that continues till today. An iconography that he developed that actually continues even till today. And some other um, parts of his... Uh, and of course, this... Um, because it was not mo uh, moment specific, it remained. Even Saddam Hussein didn't find it offensive, and the, even the, you know, the post-invasion did not find it offensive. In fact, they did um, uh, renovate it, um, uh, restore it. Actually, they did a, you know, they, they washed it with uh, um, too strong water that they cracked the base, so then they had to do all that, but the intentions were good. Um, part, uh, other artists in that group, some of the, the you know, uh, known artists, and Jawad Salim is, is, came from a family of artists. His father was one of those sort of Ottoman soldier um, artists. Uh, his brothers, two of his brothers and his sister, Naziha Salim, uh, Saad Al-Attar is one of uh, Iraq's uh, um, very well-known um, uh, woman artists, female artists, and each one, of course, the iconography of its development is... Um, based on the notion of istilham al-turat, but it goes in various di directions. As you can see, the you know, very different uh, works between the two. A very important also development at the, this period is a specific uh, trend that becomes actually more popular than in the 80s, known as harufiya, from you know, letterism. That's a con sort of uh, contentious uh, um, uh, term, and um, uh, there are those who prefer calling it uh, um, contemporary calligraphy, but I argue specifically that it's not. Uh, it's not Islamic. It's very Arab, and I call it harufiya because it is based on the letter as a secularized entity, an element that is part of daily life as opposed to the sacredness of, you know, the language of, of, uh, of the Quran. And... Um, 
there is sort of, you know, an agreement that these are the, the two artists, Jamil Hamoudi and Madiha uh, um, uh, Omar, who are started, I think it's actually Madiha Omar started, it, uh, started earlier uh, experiments. And Madiha was in Washington, D.C. She's married to an uh, Iraqi diplomat. She's of, of Syrian origin, but she's, you know, ad uh, adapted, uh, adopted as a, uh, well, all of her education was in Iraq, so she's considered an Iraqi artist. She was married to an Iraqi diplomat. She was in Washington, D.C. And it is true that she discovered um, calligraphy, and she saw books on calligraphy, because remember, Islamic art as a field of art history was not invented in, in the Islamic world. So, you know, it was books in English and German that she saw that sort of, you know, gave her the idea. But if you look at her letters, her letters are, you know, entities that are in different, you know, um, settings. Um, they are at concerts, they are, you know, in daily life, they are, you know, they have a life of their own. Jamil Hamoudi was in Paris studying when, you know, sort of, to him, the notion of what Cubism does. And Cubism is a style that most of the non-Western or the post-colonial um, nations prefer or understand because it allows them freedom. Not because it's the style that they prefer um, because of its own aesthetic, but it's, it's aesthetic of liberation that they actually um, choose. It takes them into different places. And so he takes this, and he actually has taken even some verses from the Quran or a hadith and um, formed them into um, um, a different, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, letter formations that are very abstract. The pioneers were followed by a third phase, an intense period of search and experimentation during 1960s and 70s. The artists known as the 60s generation were taught by the pioneers and thus they were sort of nourished by the same ideals and principles that focused on identity and um, uh, tradition, as well as aesthetic experimentation. Their work was characterized by change, uh, extreme change as a matter of fact, the new vision group, Ar-Ru'ya al-Jadida, was a new group that was started by artist Diyar uh, uh, Azawi, Muhammad um, Mahreddin, Rafa al-Nasri, um, and Salah al-Jumaya and Ismail Fattah. Those sort of became uh, the next generation of um, um, very well-known Iraqi artists. Um, their, their work marked, however, a, a distinct shift in methodologies and goals. The group came together following the de defeat of the Arabs uh, in the 1967 Arab-Israeli war and was thus very much influenced by the same sentiments of denial and defiance expressed by all Arab peoples. They were also affected by the favor, uh, favor of pan-Arabism and the desire for Arab unity. They expressed manifest differences with other artists of the 1960s and those that preceded them as determined by the turbulent political realities. They actually, although there's sort of, you know, a connection between the, the generations, they became sort of more uh, revolutionary, let's say. Their ideological, um, they were very ideologically uh, bent, and their ideology aimed at bridging beyond um, the Iraqiness. So if Jama'at Baghdad, Lilfan al-Hadith, wanted to sort of istilham al-Turath, was to them was about Iraq, to this generation it was, you know, about the Arab world. They wanted to be, they were, they were no, 
they identified themselves as Arab artists. But this is also a very sort of busy um, period where Arab artists were um, sort of meeting. The, the Union of the Arab Artists was established um, in uh, Damascus, and then the um, Arab uh, Art Biennale was established, um, uh, took place in, in Baghdad in 1972. Um, you know, various meetings and coming together. Artists of the Arab world started, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, the Eastern part and North Africa started meeting and coming together. And you're looking at a work, this work by the Azawi, Sabran Shatila. This was open, I mean, this is at the opening in um, his 1983 solo exhibition in Kuwait. This work was on display at the Tate. It's actually in the, you know, it's owned by the Tate Museum now in, Tate Modern rather, in London which you know, to us is a great sort of accomplishment that you know, <laughs> the work of, of this nature and this scale is um, at the Tate's uh, modern. The Azawi actually is also a very important artist who experimented with the notion of uh, harufiya. And you see some of his work, of his very early work in uh, uh, 1964, the tragedy of Karbala, and this is the martyrdom of the grandson um, of the prophet uh, Hussein, which in Iraq takes on the dimension of a folk sort of uh, uh, defiance uh, tale as opposed to religious. And so you find it invoked in many of the Iraqi artists' work. And, but you see the letter, the text, you know, kind of you know, starts showing there. But of course, in his introduction to Al-Mu'allaqat, the Seven Golden Odes, you see the text as sort of you know, primary. Although for the Azawi, it was never about the text. He's not a calligrapher, and he never really worked about the text. It's sort of the imagination or the um, um, visualization of what the text could be or what it connects to. So in this case here, it's not about reading or understanding, you know, although you see some of it um, that is legible, but it's really not about that. This is what, to him, um, uh, were. But what is interesting is the Azawi moved to uh, London in 1976. He was the creative director at the Iraqi Cultural Center in London. And that's where he actually also saw the manuscripts. Uh, and so Maqamat al-Hariri, and so all of these other works. And a new understanding um, uh, was developed to him where he understood the book, as opposed to the letter, as center for the arts, as a, a culminating, you know, the book, the Quran, you know, very important in Islamic art. And so to, to sort of try to adapt this in a very contemporary uh, way, and this is, of course, a, um, it's a sculpture a sculptural object almost, but this is a book of poems of uh, Saadi Yusuf. It's not about the poetry clearly, but it's about his own sort of representation of what um, uh, Saadi Yusuf's uh, poetry is about. The Azawi has a very long um, uh, career, and you know I am only showing you just a couple of, of images from each artist, which unfortunately really does not tell you much of what they developed. But one of the latest of, uh, of his works um, that was um, actually a work that I commissioned uh, for the opening of Matthaf Arab Museum of Modern Art is Wounded Soul. And this was clearly you know, about the destruction of Iraq. 
What is interesting about Yazawi is he's an artist who experiments. You know, he does. He did not just sort of stay in the period. He's still a modernist. I, you know, he's a contemporary artist because he works now. But he doesn't sort of you know work in contemporary styles, despite the fact that he's done an installation here. And there are actually two horses. This one and the, there's another room behind with a horse, with you know, in agony. And you see this. There are sort of multiplicity of meanings that come into um, the work of, uh, um, of this work. And the um, resin um, flowers, these represent the fallen academics and scientists. Uh, based, the number is based on the, at the uh, Brussels Tribunal at the time. And so, you know, this is, of course, a number that unfortunately has um, increased much. So this is kind of bringing us to um, a much, you know, I'm, I'm always happier talking about that period. I love talking about Jawad Salim and, and, and Shakir Hassan Said because then we come to, you know, a very sad period, um, you know, which is, you know, there is, there is less that we know about the 1980s. In general, the 1980s is dubbed sort of the, the uh, decade of propaganda of, of Saddam Hussein, which of course is a very unfair um, you know, designation because um, Iraqi artists were still you know, creating good art and they were, they were good artists. There were ones who were painting Saddam Hussein. You know, they need to make a living. As one told me, every time I painted Saddam Hussein, I can feed my um, uh, you know, uh, artist friends for two months um, because they pay well. And so you know, they would do that as anyone would do painting any other sort of leader in the world, but they would also develop their art on, on the side. And I think that we need to know more about that period because this is a period that came into question after the invasion of 2003 when particularly Western media was very surprised to not see art of dissent. You know, where, what, how were, you know, why weren't Iraqi artists sort of speaking against Saddam Hussein? And of course, the reality is they couldn't speak again openly against uh, Saddam Hussein. No one could, because otherwise they will not, you know, survive to tell the, the the story. But in fact, in my opinion, what they did is they decided to continue making good art. To them, that was the resistance by not falling in the trap of bad art. And so there is much that we need to know about that. And then, of course, there is the period of the sanctions. That period also is very important because for many of the Iraqi artists, they had to sort of, you know, um, you know if I said like a, um, in the uh, 40s and the 50s, there were um, uh, scholarships that they were sending, the government was sending artists to Western Europe. In the 70s and 80s, they were sending them to Eastern Europe. Well, in the 90s, they were not going anywhere. They actually weren't hardly able to even go to Amman, Jordan, unless some of the artists who migrated there temporarily thinking, you know, until things get better. They were very instrumental in creating a new art environment, a new art circle in, um, in Jordan because they lacked that. But they kind of, um, you know, had um, uh, uh, a disconnect in various ways with inside of Iraq and with the rest of the world. Being in Amman was was not really being outside of Iraq so much for them. They were still very much connected to what was happening in Iraq and their art addressed that. And so some of the, the, those artists, as a matter of fact, after 2003, when I was, for I'll give you a very good example of one of the artists who is currently in Houston, Texas, Nazar Yahya, who when I invited him to come um, to, uh, because of an exhibition, the Fatah that I curated, and went, and saw, went to museums, and so he was amazed to find out, for example, that the world has moved on, again, you know, back to figuration. 
Iraqi artists were looking inside at the time during the 90s. They were going to the Marqas Saddam Lil Funun, which was the Iraqi Museum of, of Modern Art at the time, because this is where all their masters, all their teachers had their work. And so they were sort of re-engaging with their own roots. They were very critical of works of Jawad Salim and, and, and the artists of that time. They considered them to be too European or too global, and they needed to be more Iraqi. And so they were looking in different way at, at uh, production art, uh, producing art, but they were still very abstract. Because to them, abstraction was sort of the ultimate um, height of, uh, um, of art. And they had not, you know, they did not hear that, you know, the world of art moved beyond the prohibition that they, it, uh, it enforced on itself. Postmodernism happened. They were still living the, the, the modern moment, in other words. And so it took them a while to see the change there. And so, of course, this, um, this ugly building, I must say, uh, but it was with, because it was designed as a, uh, um, a multi-space, I think it was a mall. It was supposed to be a mall, but then they gave it to the artist and they made it into a museum. And nevertheless, it was the home uh, for the arts. And this, of course, was in April of 2003, ransacked, burned, and most of the art kind of disappeared. It had a collection between you know, 72,000 to 82,000. And again, between means we don't have good archives that tells us an exact number. So um, after, in June, um, in June 2003, we found 1,300 of these works. And the only reason we found them, they were in the basement of the, uh, for some reason they were moved to the basement of the Museum of Antiquity. And actually, However, the, music, the, the basement had flooded later, so they were you know, destroyed. They really need a lot of, and the State Department had a, a project of restoration at one point, but apparently abandoned it. All the rest of the work you know, disappeared. Some of it was actually, you know, there are rumors, lots of rumors, that the good works were sort of smuggled out the night of the invasion, and so they found their uh, uh, places in different parts. And the, uh, the other ones, the area where this museum is is sort of you know, a very popular area. And so some people actually went in, cut the canvas, you know, took the wood, threw away the canvas, because they were more interested in getting the wood. Some, I mean, um, there's a, a pyramid sculpture of Shaikh Hassan Said that was seen on the balcony of some of the apartments in that area as a birdcage. So, you know, the, the works went in different places and, you know, some were destroyed. Uh, models and maquettes, of course, were destroyed and some of the works were, you know, um, taken out and I've seen many of them um, come on the market in different places in the world. And the reality is that if, you know, in 2004, 2005, I would tell people, well, if you have bought a stolen work, you should return it. I'm not telling them that anymore because I have no idea where they should return it and what's going to, going to happen to it. The situation inside of Iraq is not that much better. And when I say, you know, the uh, Monument of Freedom stayed because most of the monuments in Iraq, you know, had the fate of this. This is the head of Abu Jafar al-Mansur. Now, this, he's not a Ba'athist, so, you know, it was not the debathification policy that took him down, but it was apparently... Um, you know, historically, Abu Jafar al-Mansur oppressed the Shia, you know, during the Abbasid age. So it was the Shia who, you know, wanted him, or sort of the re good relations with Iran that caused this um, uh, head to come down, as opposed to, of course, sort of more obvious uh, reasons why these heads um, would come down. And, um, and I mean, you know, the, the city was full of... Um, 
uh, big sort of portraits of uh, Saddam Hussein and a lot of sculpture, and many of them are very, very ugly. But the reality is there should be a system of how these works go down as opposed to just, you know, sort of mere destruction, um, which seems to be, you know, kind of a, a new development um, that happened. But along with that meant that when the museum, the Marka Saddam al-Fanun, the former Marka Saddam al-Fanun was destroyed, that destroyed the patronage of the art as well. In the 90s, patronage changed because, you know, when... When there are sanctions, the arts are, of course, the ones that will suffer the most. And so there was little money to be given to arts. And instead, um, some galleries opened. And they were actually kind of um, um, uh, catering for the UN personnel and other people, foreigners who were inside. And after 2003, they were catering for soldiers. They would do portraits um, of the soldiers with their family to be sent you know, Christmas gifts to, to the families and so on. But the, the, the patronage, the, the main patronage came from the government. Traditionally, it came from the government of Iraq. Well, there was no more patronage. There were more, no more money for artists to go. But also, artists found it very hard to work. And they have no materials. They have no spaces. In June 2003, I would make appointments in Baghdad to see artists. And they would meet me outside and say, well, I have a studio up there, but there's no, you know, no electricity. So, so we have to climb up like five stories and um, no electricity, which means it's very hot. It's June in Baghdad. So, you know, we spoke about the studios virtually. We couldn't see them. Most Iraqi artists in 2003, 2004 had a dream of painting a big painting. And the reason for that is because they have been working small, because they didn't have the space or the material, not because you know, there's a specific value of that. And then even in some of the uh, monuments, this is a, uh, a mural by Faiq Hassan, of the 1958 revolution as well, that, as you can see, is not in the best uh, states. It's not really um, very much, very well preserved. And um, some of the artists who remained in Iraq, and I was talking about the 80s generation and the work they were doing. So, for example, this is um, one of my favorite artists who is currently based in London, um, Hana Malala, who um, actually is one of those people who thought that the sanctions was a good period for Iraqi artists because they were able to reassess, you know, their position and where aesthetically and, and you know how to move forward, and had higher hopes after 2003 until, as an academic, um, you know, a female academic artist, started being, you know, getting um, uh, threats and unknowingly I contributed to that by inviting her to come to the United States for the exhibition. So uh, that was seen as collaborating with the enemy. And so she received lots of threats when she returned. So we actually um, you know, um, managed to get her out on a um, Scholars at Risk uh, um, fund. And then she had to face new challenges. For most of those artists who left in the 90s, went to Jordan, they thought it was a, just a you know, short period and they go back to Iraq because they're artists in Iraq. Well, after 2003, they wanted to leave and not look back anymore. They just wanted to move because they knew there was no hope for them. But then they would go to places like, for example, here in Texas, where no one knows about them. And Western media was very disappointed with you know, Iraqi art. They were very happy with the revolution in Egypt because it gave them, it performed it well for them. Iraqi art didn't do that for them. Contemporary Iraqi art you know, was not what they expected it to look like. 
they actually expected to see a lot of sort of scenic, you know, um, uh, portraits, the things that if any of you have seen the Venice Biennale of last year, of two years ago, it, th things like that. This was the idea. They didn't want to see things like this. So then Hannah Malala get to the point where she's now questioning her place in the history of art in, in Iraq because she's, she neither made it as, a, she's not in Iraq anymore, so she's not known. Artists who left earlier, like Dia Azawi, managed to build their reputation as artists in Europe, in London, for example, but she was sort of struggling. She's finding herself lost because at that same time, a new parallel sort of culture, Iraqi culture, developed outside. And there were artists like Wafa Bilal, who's at, at NYU, uh, uh, Adil Abdin, who is in um, Helsinki, who became known because they did film, they did digital work, they did installations, and they addressed the war directly. They addressed the invasion directly. Hana Malala and the artists who were leaving from Iraq were still set in this notion of aesthetics as a site of resistance that in a very subtle way as opposed to you know more direct way, which she then started sort of addressing in, in some of her works, uh, her further works, uh, later works. Um, uh, Karim Rissan, who is now actually based in, uh, uh, in Toronto, he's someone who worked with the small defaters who actually kind of documented the sanctions and invasions in various um, you know, productions of uh, these defater, the books um, that he had. Uh, again, they're sort of like, you know, it took them a while to resurface in, um, uh, in the new sort of countries of host. This is an exhibition that was in uh, uh, the Station Museum in Houston um, that included Hannah Malala, Karim Rissan, and, and some of those artists that I've been talking about. But the sort of parallel art that was developing, and you can see the disparity between the sort of textural um, and uh, uh, abstract work of the artists who were inside of Iraq, and then work is, were artists like Janan Ani, who's uh, half Iraqi, you know, lived in, and worked outside of uh, Iraq most of her life, and address, addressing various issues that were actually of no concern to Iraqi artists inside. These are issues that we are obsessed with here in the West, not you know the, in the Arab world. These are not the issues that they were looking. At. Or again, one of my favorite artists, Haif Kahraman, who is um, San Francisco uh, based and who actually takes the aesthetics, uh, again, she left Iraq as a very young girl, uh, she takes the aesthetics of Islamic art, uh, Art Nouveau, uh, Japanese art, and creates beautiful images that are not about beautiful uh, subjects. So, I mean, she does a lot of work about uh, gender and about um, the war as well, um, you know, Sadiq Kwesh al-Faraji, who also from that generation, but lived long enough in, um, you know, uh, outside of Iraq that he was able to start developing new um, uh, vocabulary of expressing himself. This work is beautiful. Um, this work, which is sort of a multimedia, there's a video and there are various, you know, objects that goes with it, um, is a very complicated, um, sort of personal narrative um, and engagement with, with his history. So that means, of course, that inside of Iraq, there is a vacuum. In fact, in June 2003, I went to an opening at the um, uh, College of uh, 
uh, arts in uh, the College of Fine Arts, previously known as the Academy. And um, I, you know, I wanted to see what was there, and I saw a lot of surrealist uh, art. And I wondered if surrealism was sort of a good language for them to express themselves because of the conditions. But then I found out it's the painting instructor did you know, worked in surrealist style. So basically they were just, that's what they learned from their teacher, not because it was an, uh, you know, a, a choice um, uh, for them. But they, and they really felt, you know, they felt there was hope. They thought, you know, they, there are things that, you know, can happen. And a couple of exhibitions, you know, took place. But in, re, in general, um, there was very little money dedicated for the arts um, and the development of the arts, except for projects like this. Um, and they, you know, the wall group, it's uh, the artists just sort of collect, making these collectives. And those are artists who did this. These are beautifying these sort of, you know, um, the, uh, uh, the walls of Baghdad. There are so many of them, um, uh, walls of security in different uh, areas. And the project sort of, you know, the beautification project started um, earlier. And these are, those are artists who were while doing this, it was paying them $100 a day, so they were doing this art, but they were very happy. They would be happy to erase it in a moment because they were not appreciating this as art. It kind of, you know, just sort of a surge of cliches of things from the history of certain personnels or something. I'm sure, you know, in 10 years when I look back at this, I will see it in a very different way. But at the moment, it is not seen as anything other than just sort of propaganda in many ways and ugly, particularly given the history of Iraq, that, of art in Iraq that I was just showing you. And so these are some of the later ones. And some of the developments that happened around, you know, um, you know this, is, this is the Iraqi um, engagement with that moment of the Arab revolts. And then 2013 happened. And they declared um, Baghdad as the capital of uh, Arab culture. And the Iraqi government decided, oh, wow, we need to have money to do projects in Iraq. And they, in 2012, you know, early 2013, there were statements and declarations of all these projects that they were going to do, 100 monuments, of monuments of um, specific uh, um, uh, famous, you know, personnels. I mean, there was going to be, actually, there was an exhibition of Abdul Karim Qasim's uh, paraphernalia. There were, you know, they were going to have, they had a very ugly um, uh, statue of al-Jawahari that, um, the intellectuals in Iraq campaigned against it. They removed it because it was truly very cliche and ugly. So there, this is sort of a prize that one of the artists um, uh, won. There were competitions. There were conferences. Um, there were, you know, uh, 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 announcements that, you know, there was, was going to be an opera house. I have no idea what happened to these projects because there were a lot of projects that were announced, but the reality is they are always announcements, but we don't know then exactly what's going to happen. New sculpture was seen uh, around the world, uh, around uh, the city, and they, they did um, commission few uh, sculptures by Hamad um, Ghani Hikmat before he passed away. He was in Jordan, but you know, uh, his son continues to uh, um, erect the, you know, take care of, of making sure that the you know, sculpture um, 
uh, is going up. Uh, there were a lot of debates about what to do about certain sculptures, like, for example, um, this one, uh, Nasb al-Shaheed. This was uh, designed by uh, um, uh, Smail al-Turk, Smail Fatah al-Turk. And uh, then there were you know, projects and ideas of what they're going to do in Mutanabbi Street. Um, I was happy to hear that, although they had ide uh, ideas of having a, a pet market uh, right next to Mutanabbi Street, that um, the uh, idea was canceled, but they did bulldoze um, you know, most of the um, uh, you know, uh, book sales uh, uh, stalls in the street. And you know, there was just a new or a renewed discourse about you know, um, engaging with the arts in a very different way. Is, you know, if you, the, the Venice Biennale, for example, which is a Biennale that is based on na national representations. Well, the Iraqi, and it's not a pavilion, so it's a, a collateral event, uh, is actually uh, not commissioned by Iraq. So it's, it's designed and commissioned by um, people outside of Iraq with possibly just getting some one signature from some Iraqi, um, you know, either ambassador or something. But this is not the government of Iraq that is sponsoring or paying for it. But yet there is this sort of new image of what, what should be contemporary Iraqi art that is being um, promoted. And the story continues. Thank you very much for your attention.